Happy New Year. Welcome to season two of the Africa Business of Sport podcast with myself, Adam Spio, and my co-host, Jabu Umtua. We are very excited to bring you this year's first episode, dubbed Hashtag Sports Industry Insights. For our four-part series, we will be bringing to you webinar series from the Johan Cruyff Institute, which are dubbed Sports Industry Insights, a couple of series where they focus on very important aspects within the sports industry. For example, leading teams, creating effective sponsorship, branding in football, and making the right decisions that impact successful business within sports. Jabu, what do we have for our audience today? This is going to be the first episode of the first series of this new year, Adam, and I have to say I'm very excited to be kicking it off with a pretty significant collaboration with Johan Cruyff Institute. I mean, this is an institute that we admire uh, quite a lot for the work that they do and the vision they have for sports management for students all across the world. And hopefully through this partnership going forward as well, we can have even more individuals from the African sports business and African students who are interested in furthering their careers in sports management to do it through a reputable, effective institute like Johan Cruyff Institute. So it's a, an incredible opportunity to have this collaboration. And once again, as we start this new year, I just want to thank you again for the support that you've given the podcast in the past few months and to assure you that this year, starting now, it will be an incredible year and we hope to keep you informed and entertained about the African sports business and the developments that are going to come across. Many exciting things happening as well for this year. And we're going to start it off with this Sports Industry Insight series where we're going to have Joyce Van Kooten, who is a study advisor and teacher at Johan Cruyff Academy in Amsterdam. And she's going to be discussing and really explaining in such nuanced way to think of how to form and build a team. So I think there's many people who are going to value this conversation or this discussion if you are leading a sports team if you are leading a sports business organization if you are leading a department within your sports organization i think there's a fantastic resource for you to listen and get a better sense of how to lead a team and also the team dynamics that go throughout the five different stages as she explains it i'm excited for this episode coming up fantastic jabu and to our audience this episode is titled How to Lead Teams to Success, which is the first webinar series from the Sports Industry Insights. Jabu, when I was listening to this webinar and I I partook in it, one thing that really stood out for me was the different stages of forming teams. And I have interacted with it prior to the webinar, and it was just like a reminder session for me. And my favorite part of forming teams, the storming stage, where people tend to face difficulties. Sometimes group members or team members don't gel well. Somebody doesn't like the way another person thinks. There's so many aspects which affect the quality of the performances in the team. And that's a storming stage. But for me, I believe it's the most crucial stage where at the end of the day, if you're able to go past it through the right um, processes, maybe team building um, um, activities, um, you know, reading about each other, finding ways where you can connect on the cultural level, on a diversity level, it really makes the Norman performing and adjoining stage a smooth ride. What about you? For me and in my experience uh, leading a team and leading a football club, in my case, 
but also all different projects in the past is as much as it's, you know, the end of the climax and the fun that you have in building and sharing memories and moments with incredible people. It is the adjourning stage for me that it's the breaking up of the team when the required task is complete. So for me, one of the most special parts in working with the team is at the end. And as much as we have to break up, we're just breaking up with even more respect for each other, even more understanding of what we are good at, even more understanding of what it took to be a part of a team, but also to look back on the impact of whatever project you are leading had. So having that sort of insight into a journey and how to facilitate that process while as someone in a sports team or someone in a leadership position, in a senior management position in a sports organization, this is some information I feel and this team stage model that Joyce van Kooten speaks about is really helpful and I found that fascinating. So guys, enough of us speaking. Now enjoy sections of the webinar and listen to the full one to enjoy it. Thank you. Hello, good afternoon. Uh, very nice that you joined the, the webinar about how to lead teams to success. Um, I was asked about the Cruyff Institute uh, by the Cruyff Institute Barcelona to give you this, uh, this webinar. My name is Joyce, Joyce van Kote. Uh, I have a background in social cultural sciences um, and I've uh, experienced in corporate organizations in the Netherlands as well in recruitment and talent and management development. And since uh, 15 years now, I've been a professor and coach at the Johan Cruyff Academy and the Johan Cruyff Institute in Amsterdam. Um, and since year five now, I'm a professor for the Cruyff Institute in Barcelona as well, uh, for which I give the modules uh, Leadership and People Management. So in this presentation, I've already introduced myself and I will start with a small introduction on uh, the topic. And then we will talk about team stages, we'll talk about team roles, and we will talk about team culture. Um, and uh, these sheets partly are based on the modules I give for the Cruyff Institute about leadership and people management, but I've added some extra things as well. I've combined some things and I've added some um, uh, practical examples from the context of sports as well. There has to be direction. I will come to, to talk about that as well later on. So there, have to be, there has to be a clear goal. Uh, there has to be structure, a supportive context, and there has to be guidance in the team. And all of these aspects I will come to later on with the different theories I will, I will explain to you. So the first one is team stages. Um, Bruce Tuckman is uh, the scientist who has worked on this model. And what he says is that there are four and actually five, because he added one later on, stages in uh, which a team, uh, team will go through uh, during their performance. And the first one is that you have to form the team. Uh, so in the initial stage, um, team is formed either by the club, by the trainer, uh, by the fact that team members are leaving and you have to buy in new team members or uh, youth will add, will add up to your team. So that's the forming of a team at the beginning of the season uh, most of the time. After which uh, there is a storming phase. So if new people are working together, uh, they have to get used to each other. They don't know each other and maybe they have different personalities that need to be able to work with each other. And that takes time. So we will come to this later when we are talking, for example, about conflicts in teams, uh, but it takes time. And you actually need to take this time to be able for a team to be effective later on. 
so you don't have to go, you don't, you shouldn't go too fast to the norming phase. And the norming phase is that the rules and regulations become clear. So in the norming is, okay, how do we work together? What are the rules in this team? What do we like? What do we don't like? What don't we like? And how do we perform as a team? Uh, in which, of course, after that, if the norms are set, uh, it becomes easy to perform. Because if everything is clear, everybody's role is clear, um, the rules of the game, the rules of the team cooperation are clear, then uh, only then you can start to think about performing. And the idea of this model is that when performing, uh, the state of flow can arise in a team in which uh, there is no need, there, there won't be any conflicts, there's no need to talk about rules um, and everything will go by itself. And of course, the, the last phase, it's on in, in the, the, the bottom side of the sheet, is the adjoining phase. And that is when you say goodbye. That can be either uh, in um, a business life setting uh, in, okay, the, the project has stopped, has ended, has come, uh, you have delivered your, your product or your services. And in sports, of course, most of the time at the end of the, of the season. You say, okay, uh, this is the end of this team and in the new season, there will be a new team. In each of these stages, um, the team manager or the coach has a role. Um, and it differs in per stage what, what role the, the coach has. So in the forming stage, of course, uh, the, the, the coach or the technical director or whatever decides who is in the team, who's not in the team this year. Uh, and then the conflict phase uh, arouses in which you have to coach your team to be able to speak up to each other. Um, to say what they mean, to uh, invite them, to create a, a, a culture in which it's possible to say things to each other. I'll come back to this later when we talk about conflict. And then in the norming phase, uh, it's important for the team leader to uh, fa facilitate that the team members make the decision, make the uh, agreements with each other. So, of course, the team leader can set his own, his own uh, norms. So, okay, I think th these are my, I work by these rules. But it's relevant for the team members as well to talk about this and to set their own rules, to have some self-regulation in this as well, uh, because you want them to abide by the rules. So it's relevant to, um, uh, to, to make sure they, talk, they can talk about this. After what, if the, if the team is ready to perform, um, most likely uh, the coach doesn't have to do and, and that much anymore. Uh, for example, in tennis, it was long uh, so that you weren't able, uh, allowed to coach from the bench or from uh, from the stadium to your to your pupils or so to the tennis player. In in soccer, of course, it is. So a lot of the time, you see soccer coaches scream besides uh, besides the pitch, and uh, yeah. Well, the, the the question is 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 it relevant then? Does it help? I don't have a real opinion about that, but I think when the team is in the game and they should be ready to perform by themselves, that's the idea of the theory. And I think um, sports teams will, will function best if they are ready to perform themselves and can make their own decisions uh, on the field. Uh, and then again, in adjourning, it's very relevant for the team leader to have recognition, uh, to, to reward the players, to make sure that everybody has the recognition for their achievements, uh, so that is important. Okay, how did we do our task? We had a goal uh, to evaluate. evaluate uh, how did we reach our goals and how can we learn for, for example, an, a new season? Um, and in this change of roles, uh, what I do have to say as a bit of a criticism on this theory is that 
it looks like it's always like go from one stage to the other stage to the other stage. But of course, it is possible uh, that you have forgotten things in certain stages or that things are changed. So the situation can change or an important player in your team um, uh, can become injured in by which the, the forming of the team changes again. So it can happen that you're further in the model, but then you uh, fall back and you have to get back to the forming phase and then it all starts over again. Uh, and maybe not. It, it doesn't take that long uh, when one player, for example, is, is replaced. Uh, but you do have to think about, okay, uh, if there are things happen uh, like the corona situation or any other crisis there, ha there has been, uh, then you have to get back. New forming, new storming and new norms have to be set then. And so that's one of the, of the, the, the criticisms and, and counterparts of this model. The other one is that it's culturally uh, determined as well for, for some parts. Um, because um, if you think about, uh, for example, I've been, uh, of course, I've been watching the, the World Cup football now. If you see teams like Japan and South Korea, um, there is way less uh, voice for the players than in more Western uh, teams, when the European teams, for example. So there, um, and there's all, also a culture, not a really a culture of conflict. Uh, so um, if there is avoidance of conflicts, it can be that it fits in a culture, for example, uh, the, the two I mentioned, Japan or South Korea, is that you skip the storming phase for a part because it's in the culture that you don't do that and you just listen to the manager, listen to the coach. Uh, he sets out the plan. He decides, he or she decides about the norms and the rules. And that can be successful as well. So that's the second part of uh, a little bit of criticism, criticism against this theory is that it's possible that it's culturally dependent as well. Here an example as well. It's from uh, Dutch sports uh, and skating, of course, is one of, of the biggest, uh, bigger sports in the Netherlands. And here's an, uh, an example from uh, the Olympics in Beijing in uh, two, two, 2022. And there on the left side, you see the short track relay team, the, the women's relay team. And on the right side, you see the, um, the speed skating um, team pursuit team, the ladies as well. And now you can see in their reactions that uh, who won and who lost. <laughs> so that's very clear. Um, and why I wanted to men mention this example is because the first one, the, the, the short track relay team was very well in training together. They train four years long together in a team. They uh, have individual um, uh, contests as well, um, but they, they train as a team always. And they train at the same space uh, in the Netherlands as one training center for the short track uh, skaters. That's not the case for the speed skaters. So they all have their own programs and, and they have been together a few times, which was very difficult to arrange, uh, to train on uh, the, 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 the team pursuit. And now you see that in, in history, what's so that the, the Dutch skaters were so good that most of the time they even get a medal. They even won a medal uh, without training that much. But um, internationally, uh, there are some very good teams that train much more together. And you see here now that if you look at the team stages, this team hasn't had enough time together to go through the storming phase, to go through the rules and regulations, so the norming phase. And they, there was all types of discussion between the skaters, with the skaters and the coaches. Uh, so all types of difficulties that you didn't want during the Olympics. 
So I think a good example of one team that did go through the stages and had time to work on all the stages and a team that didn't. And it really had effects on um, the success of the teams. Another example of team stages is uh, the, the example of Frank Rijkaard as a coach of Barcelona. Uh, uh, of course, he was in his uh, uh, time as a player and uh, his first term as a coach, he was very successful at Barcelona. Um, he won a lot. Uh, and uh, later on, he was appointed again uh, for a second time as a coach and it didn't work out. Uh, so what you see here is that when um, the criticism he, he, he gained, and I read an article and I saw a video of Becky Stein, and he said um, Frank Reichert loved his team too much. Uh, so he uh, wasn't able to make the decisions that were necessary and to make changes in the team to make sure that the team was uh, the good, uh, uh, we had the, good, the, the best players for that team at that time. So in that time and with that team, he wasn't able to perform. Uh, so here again, a new, nor new forming was needed. And because he loved the player so much, he wasn't able to do so. And uh, of course, uh, afterwards, he had to quit, had to leave the club. Now, here are two videos. I won't show them because they're too long, uh, both uh, around seven or eight minutes, but they're very inspirational. It's from two sports movies, um, Coach Carter and Remember the Titans. Uh, there are a lot of videos available about these two movies. And what is good in these two videos is that they show with examples in there the um, stages uh, the, team, the team goes through. So from the forming stage until the adjoining phase, uh, it is sh shown in this video. So if you want to use it one time with your own team, you can look up this video. So it's, it's available on YouTube. And to end up with the team stages uh, theory, um, I wanted to add that there are other scientists and other models as well available about this. And this is, for example, another one, the Cox, the Cox letter in which uh, in a similar way you see the, the stages a team can go through. And so from getting it acquainted, uh, forming the team, until um, having arguments, having conflicts, uh, until having collaboration and rules and listening to each other to performing. And so the Cox letter is uh, somewhat a similar idea as the, the team stages of Tuckman, in which you can look at, okay, in what type of uh, stage is my team now and where do I have to work on as a team manager? Then we go to the second theory, and that is about team roles. Um, and here it's uh, often about, okay, in sports, we often talk about the technical role uh, an athlete plays or the position he or she has in a field. For example, in soccer, the attackers and the defense and the goalkeeper, etc. cetera. Uh, so I will show you two examples of uh, specific roles in two sports. And I'll talk uh, uh, more about team roles later on. So the first one is the role of the cox. Okay, so here's the cox. And the, uh, I wanted to mention this, this example because, uh, of course, a lot of uh, the participants, alumni and, and, and partners of the Grave Institute, of course, often use the soccer examples. And I will do as well. But um, this sport, uh, the eight in rowing, uh, it's very, if you make one small mistake, you will lose the game. Um, so in football, you can lose the ball once in a while, but here you cannot make any mistakes. So it is extra relevant to have a clear view on what is everybody's role in the team and that everybody is aligned to the, um, to the rules and the regulations of the team. 
the second uh, example I wanted to show you, and it's, 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 can, we can show it just very sh shortly, is uh, the role of the domestique in cycling. I will show, will show you so uh, about 20 to 30 seconds. Uh, and here you see, of course, the, the role of the domestique very shortly is the one who gets the leaders of the team out of the wind, uh, uh, out of the wind is the water carrier um, and will bring the leader back to the peloton when he fell, etc., etc. So what you see here is that it's about the functional role uh, different players have in a team. Um, but oftentimes you see that it matches with the personality style of the certain player. So attackers, defenders are different types of players. A goalkeeper is a different type of player as, as well. So there's no one personality for one role in a team, but oftentimes you see that the role matches with the personality type of the player. And that is what, uh, what we talk about when we talk about team roles. It's not only the functional or technical role, but it's also about the personal role the player plays. Uh, and of course, the, the, the famous uh, quote of Cruyff is: "If you um, you have to, if you choose choose only the best player for every position, you will end up with not a strong strong eleven, but only with strong eleven strong ones." Uh, so you have to match the roles and the personalities of the team members to really form a, a well functioning group. Uh, so the Role theory in group dynamics is um, an about uh, is not about one. It's different. There are different theories about this, and I will show you one you can use uh, when forming your team. It's from Meredith Belbin, and he did a lot of research uh, on team dynamics and to see uh, how uh, functional and effective teams um, uh, work. And what he says is, okay, you can have nine roles in a team. Uh, and oftentimes a person has one or two and sometimes three roles he prefers. So that's the natural style that the team player will play. Um, there are also mainly one or two roles that is less fit to that specific player. Um, and the different roles are functional in different stages of the team. So here, the team stage theory and the team role theory work together, is that in the beginning of the team, when forming the team, you need other roles than when you're in the performing stage or when you're in a crisis situation, for example. So that differs. Um, and what he says is that a successful team has an ideal mix of roles. You don't if you have only one role in your team, it won't function successfully. I won't ex explain them all because it will take too long and it will take it will become too technical. But there is a lot of information about this theory on the internet. There are tests as well. You can do the test for yourself to find out what team roles match your natural style. But what is relevant to know is that each role has their own strengths and qualities and therefore contribution to the team. But each role has their own weaknesses as well. Um, so uh, when you are strong at one thing, you are, can be uh, uh, less strong uh, or worse in other things. And it's good if a team, if a team, uh, if, if team members know this of each other. So, uh, and again, what is relevant as well is that there are allergies. So one team role can have an allergy for a certain other team role. So then you know when you start a team and you have these dif different uh, personalities in your team uh, that you can find out in advance who will be more likely to get into conflict with each other and who can work uh, good together.
the roles are a bit divided in uh, a, a certain roles that are more people are who aren't thinking parts, people who are on the action cards uh, parts or doing doing the things, and more people oriented roles like the team worker, the coordinator, and the networker, for example. Uh, so there is a video from Bob Knight, and I won't show it because it's too long, but uh, there's a video of Bob Knight, you can look up it. And what he is, he is talking about team roles as well. And he is talking about strengths and weaknesses as well. So you have to know from each of the team members as a team manager or team coach, but the team members amongst themselves as well, uh, what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. So you can bring forward the strengths and you can work on the weaknesses or make sure that the team players, the team roles will help each other um, to not show the weakness. The last topic I would like to talk to you about is about team culture. So I've been talking about team stages um, uh, in which the phases in which a team goes through the team roles, there's who plays what functional technical role, but plays a role as a personality in the team as well. Um, and then about, okay, how to uh, create a team culture, a successful culture. And I would like to um, uh, give you this one as, as inspiration. And maybe some of you know the, know the book already. Uh, but this is a very nice book, The Barcelona Way, in how to create a high-performance culture. And it is about how to, uh, to create success in an organization. You can use it as well in creating success in, um, uh, in teams as well. I will explain uh, the, the, um, the relevant parts of the book shortly. And then, of course, you can read the book yourself if you're inspired by this. But the first thing is that they say, okay, um, and that's what um, is the, the book is about. You have to have the big picture. So I will come back to that later when I talk about uh, the golden circle. But what is relevant is that there has to be a big picture, a, a common goal. Uh, and for example, in Barcelona, it's that the club, it, it's Mesca and Club. That's the big picture uh, that, that Barcelona has, has formed for itself. The second part is the arc of change. And that is about what are make, uh, how do you make the culture clear? So how do you work with symbols, with signposts, with ceremonies in your organization to make sure that there is a feeling of um, uh, culture as well, that we're together there. And that if need, change is needed, everybody knows why the change is needed. Recurring practices. This is a lot about the structures and the environment in which it's worked and the rules and the regulations. Um, the cultural architects is about the, the heroes of the club. And of course, uh, within Barcelona, you have a lot of uh, examples like Pujol, like Messi, like Safi, who are the heroes of the club. And the culture is, um, is created around these cultural heroes. And of course, leadership. So leadership is very relevant to create a high performing culture. And uh, of course, Cruyff is one of the relevant persons, uh, has been one of the relevant persons within Barcelona to create this culture. Uh, and of course, uh, and the book is a lot about Guardiola as well as one of the adepts of Cruyff in creating his legacy at Barcelona. Uh, and uh, I would like to show you a small part of a video, like one and a half minute. We, we can look at this for hours, I guess, but one and a half minutes. And that's mainly what you can create if you uh, work consequently with a shared goal, uh, with a lot of repetition, uh, because Grijf uh, uh, said as well, playing simple football is the hardest thing to do because you have to practice, 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 and then it looks easy, but it isn't. 
So here, just for inspiration, a one and a half minutes video of the Tiki Taka of Barcelona. Yeah, so just as I said, we can look at this for hours, I think. And even if you don't like football, I think you can see the art in this. And um, you must understand how much work is in this. And you have to have all the noses in the same side. You have to have clear um, rules and clear uh, expectations in the team and a lot of practice together. Uh, so I think this is a clear example of how you can create success uh, and perform, uh, performance in a team. And then going back to the, the big picture, uh, I, I really like the model of uh, Simon Sinek. It's, uh, it's about the golden circle uh, to create a shared goal in your organization. Uh, so oftentimes you see that in teams, organizations, it's very clear what the team does and what you're working on. Uh, maybe it's clear even how, what the road to it is, but why you're there as a team uh, might not be that clear. And it's always important as a team to talk to each other about why are we here as a team, um, but as well, why am I here as an individual? I'll come to that later, but it's important that both the individual and the group why are clear in a team. And here I would like to add the example of um, the one love discussion in the, in the current World Cup. Very difficult discussion, I think, within teams uh, and for the team managers and coaches as well. Uh, so the German squad um, and the Iranians as well, it was not about the one love for the Iranian uh, squad, but they, they, they took the stage to make a statement. Um, you did see that it had effect on how, especially the Iranian team played. I don't know if, if it, it counted for Germans as well, uh, because I'm not uh, too much into the to that team. Uh, but and they made a statement, so they chose together with their team management to make the statement. Uh, the Dutch team decided not to do it. So there was a lot of criticism, mainly on the cap team captain Virgil van Dijk for not wearing the One Love band. Um, but when diving a bit deeper into this, I've tried to do that. And then uh, I've understood that the, the team decided, and if it's Louis van Gaal uh, on his own or with the whole team squad, I don't know. But they have decided we keep focus on why we are here. We are here to try to become the world champion. And we're not here for other goals. Uh, so um, we have to see how far they come. They're already far. Uh, they've become. They came further than, than the Germans already. But we have to see how how far this brings them. But it is a clear example of deciding whatever everybody else is saying, deciding on a clear goals why we are here. And then uh, here you can uh, see uh, again an example of how you buy, who, how you can create a team culture is thinking about how you go about buying and versus building talent. So uh, I've mentioned here two clubs. Uh, of course, Ajax is one of the clubs uh, that is in, uh, known as a club with their own youth academy. Barcelona has one as well, of course. So Ajax has the Tukomst, the future, the complex for the youth department. And Barcelona has La Masia that's very famous for developing their own, uh, their own talents. Um, there are other clubs that are less reluctant to just buy talents with a lot of maybe with a, a Saudi um, or a Qataran um, um, uh, sponsor and then just buy talent. I've added here a picture of Paris Saint-Germain. Chelsea is a club that has both. So and there's an article uh, beneath here in the slide uh, that is about, okay, they have their own youth de department and youth development, but they uh, don't are not reluctant to buy in some experienced players as well, for example. 
another article uh, mentioned in this slide is about uh, Bodo Klimt. It's a Norwich uh, team. And I think the article is very nice to look up because it's, um, it's about this as well. It's also about we have our own talents. We're not a rich club, so we have no money to buy big players. So we have to um, build our own talents in the club. And we have to make sure that when we buy a talent, we make sure it fits the culture and they will, will, will be successful. Uh, the model, the wheel on, on the, the, the right side is about how you work with talents when you have them. So buying in is, is one thing, but then, okay, how do you align all the, 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 the talents to your club and to the team goals? How do you develop them further when they're in the house? Uh, and of course, how do you reward them in an equal way? So it's, it's not something that's one good way. Uh, you can make decisions here and you can have a clear vision for your own, but you have to think about it. Um, it is of course related to the forming phase of uh, we have of the stages we talked about earlier. Uh, it's okay, when you form your team, how do you go about it? What is your vision and what effect does it have on the rest of the organization when you do decide to buy in your talents? When talking about that, of course, it's important to talk about the individual within the crew. We talked about the team phases already and the team roles already. And so you have to think about what is the role of the player in the team? What's his personality? Does it match, match, does it match with the group goals as well? Um, and individual goals are needed. Uh, so you cannot just say, okay, we have a group goal and everybody has to um, um, uh, fit into the group goal if the, the, the individuals do not have a sense of belonging there and of adding to the team. So you have to um, uh, invest time in making sure each individual player of the team knows what their uh, value is in the team and why they are there. Uh, and here, of course, the example, and I've, I could have added, uh, I already uh, handed in the, the presentation, uh, but I could have um, added the picture of uh, Ronaldo in, his, in the Portuguese team as well, because there he was um, set on the bench as a substitute as well. So he had criticism on the coach. And there again, Eve, uh, as Ten Hag did at Manchester, uh, that put them on the bench. Uh, and then maybe if you look into in other sports, I was already talking about small mistakes in football or in other sports. And I want to mention here uh, the Volvo Ocean Race, uh, in which if somebody makes a mistake in this team, you see the, the, the sailing boat beneath. If somebody makes a mistake, somebody can die. So you cannot make a mistake. And more important, an individual is never bigger than the team is. So yes, it is relevant that every individual knows their own uh, part, uh, their own role in the team and why they're there. But then still, it all has to be combined to, in effect, the team goal. The team goal has to be central all the way. And an individual, an ego can never be bigger than that. And you see here that, that the coaches are not reluctant to even uh, place uh, a Ronaldo a, a type of player as a, as a Ronaldo, even if the, the whole crowd is, is yelling for him. Um, that if he does not conform to the, the group norms and the group uh, rules, then you're out, at least for a part of the game. Um, and here, this is, this, is, this is what the video of Bob Knight, which I mentioned earlier, is about as well. So if you uh, okay, you can be very clear as a team manager about the roles in a team, um, and if you have to abide by that, because otherwise the team won't function. And in sports like rowing or like sailing, uh, it will mean that you're out of the game.
Another one is dealing with conflicts. I already talked about this when we were talking about the team stages and, uh, and uh, especially about the storming stage of team development is that when you're talking about uh, conflicts that uh, most of the time, um, either there is resistance to change and you have to uh, manage uh, and you have to explain people why there is a change needed in the team, for example, or it's about conflicting personalities. We're all, we were talking about the team roles already, and there you saw that within the nine team roles that Meredith Belbin thought of, uh, there are team roles that work better together, and there are team roles that do not work that good to together. So it is natural in a team that there will be conflicts. Uh, you don't, uh, you shouldn't be afraid of that as a team manager or coach, uh, but you have to guide your team. So uh, under some certain conditions and uh, in an open culture in which you are able to say th things and there is respect amongst each other, uh, conflict can be very uh, good. So um, I know that the, 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 the famous Dutch hockey coach, Mark Lammers, he wrote a book and that said, yes, a crisis, uh, in which he explains that uh, he uses uh, these things to become stronger as a team. And here I show one uh, example. There are more conflict theory models, but I show here one, uh, one of the, uh, the, the ones is that you can use in explaining people they have different styles in uh, going about conflicts. So, for example, you can be more avoiding because you don't quite like conflict, conflicts, but more competitive players may like to have uh, some competition and some conflict. So you can use this model to look in your team, okay, what type of conflict style the individuals have and how do we use, how do we go about to, to make sure that we go to collaboration in the end? So we can say to each other what we want uh, and what is, needs to be said um, in a respectful culture and in a way that we come out of it better. Uh, so one, one example, again, of the World Cup is the Belgium team, in which there were, was a conflict um, uh, between uh, Jan Vertonghen and Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, and here, of course, the whole team said uh, later on in, for, in front of the camera as well, okay, there were some issues, but uh, we're still a team and uh, it's okay to say some things to each other, to be honest to each other. But of course, you can ask the question, the team didn't perform that well. Um, I don't know if that is the reason, but it, of course, it doesn't help. Uh, looking at the team stages again, uh, these types of conflicts, you don't want them uh, at the moment that you have to perform. Then you want the state of flow. I don't know if you saw the last the last match of Brazil, but that is what you want. You don't want any any uh, arguments in your team. You want uh, dancing players on the field and literally dancing players when they score the goals. Uh, so I don't know if it's the reason the, the Belgians Belgians are out, but of course it didn't help. Uh, the other link is to uh, some examples of football players who got in, into conflict with each other. And most of the time, it's conflicting personalities. So there's an example of Slatan Ibrahimovic and Rafael van der Vaart, for example. Um, and, and, and often you have to deal with, as, as a team manager or coach, you have to deal with these personalities. Uh, and you have to see how you can get them on uh, at the table together and make sure they do respect each other and they use each other's differences instead of fighting fight about them. And then one last thing I would like to say about creating a team culture uh, is about resilience. Um, this mainly comes from uh, adding this one, mainly comes from the corona crisis um, in which we saw that uh, it was for me and I think for a lot of us, the first real for, of course, people who didn't uh, experience a war situation, I guess, because there I think uh, counts the same. 
of not feeling safe. So there was a situation that everybody was at home. It was strange. It was maybe scary at the beginning. Um, so it was all different. The whole world looked different from before. Uh, and um, that made us aware of how relevant it is, first and for all, that individuals in a team, in an organization, feel safe. Uh, they have their basic needs in order, food, house, etc. cetera, uh, their, 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 their health, of course, and that they feel safe. Because if that's not the case, you won't be able to get anything out of a team. And I think Jurgen Klopp is, is one of the coaches that has a really, is a really good example of dealing with these phases. And so he has uh, sports psychologists and he used them, uh, the psychologists as well, to help their players through uh, the corona period, during the period, but after the period as well, of getting back and how do, how do we deal with each other. Um, what you see here in the right um, uh, top side is the, the, the wheel of resilience in which you can see what is needed. And of course, uh, uh, the people who are aware of sports psychology know this already. Um, so when you're working with a team, there's a discussion in the Dutch. That's not really a discussion, but it came out now that, for example, Denzel Dumfries of the Dutch team calls with his sports psychologies. And I don't know if it's every day, but during the World Cup, Van Gaal is okay with that. Uh, so he uses the, the sports psychology to make sure that he can take off some of the pressure and he can stay focused on what he has to do. Um, but it goes back to just physical well-being as well. And so it's relevant for a team manager to have good eye for uh, the personal uh, well-being of his players. And I think what you see now, uh, for example, in uh, in the example of the Dutch squad, is that Louis Vergaal uh, is known as a very task-oriented, goal-oriented coach. Uh, but you see that since he has developed, he has done this in Brazil as well, and doing it now as, as well, is he has a lot of eye for the persons and for the individuals in the team. So uh, there are a lot of moments where the, the, the family can come over. Um, he has eye for different needs in the team. So when they want to go... Um, uh, in the, for this example of Denzel Dumfries, it's okay. Um, so you see here a coach that combines ta very task-oriented uh, uh, approach with a people-oriented approach. So there, there we are. Uh, I hope I have uh, explained some uh, maybe applicable uh, theories for you uh, on team management uh, to in order to uh, help your teams become more successful. That were the, the team stages, different roles the players play in the team, uh, how, um, what function you have as a team coach uh, in creating a, success, a successful team culture. So I hope it was uh, nice for you to, to listen to. It was inspirational. And of course, the, the recording will be available later on. So you can look up uh, um, the links as well uh, to dive into it uh, for yourself uh, any further. So if you have still any questions, I will go to the question tab. And if you have any questions, I will uh, see what questions there are. And maybe I can, uh, can answer them. Uh, that's nice, Adam. I see in the chat, you're cheering for the Dutch. Thank you very much. Are there any questions still? Uh, that's nice of you to say, Adam. I hope you can use some of it. Yes, some of the theories, some of the examples, maybe some of the videos. So I hope it's useful. Okay, if there are not any questions anymore, I would like to thank you a lot for joining uh, the webinar or for looking at back later on. Um, and maybe we can in, in, in touch again later on as, uh, as all partners or alumni of the Cruyff Institute. Thank you very much. 
and have a nice day. And there you have uh, Joyce Van Kooten with an exceptional webinar and masterclass really on how to lead teams to success. Again, if you are someone in the sports business, if you are a team leader, if you are in a leadership position in an organization, definitely what Joyce had to say must have added to your expertise and knowledge. And hopefully you can apply this knowledge that you now have to whatever situation you are dealing with and a work situation. An impactful episode, valuable episode, hopefully. And this is only the first of four this month of January. And we hope you enjoyed that conversation. Adam, what do you think about it? I really got to appreciate what it really means to lead teams to success. So many teams over the years have been very successful, regardless of the sports field you find yourself in. You know, the Chicago Bulls of Michael Jordan's era, Pep Guardiola's 2009 Barca team, you know, um, Sir Alex Ferguson's Ma Manchester United, the year they did a treble, Chelsea's um, Champions League winning team of 2012. There have been successful teams, and just getting to understand what the nitty-gritty and the different steps are from forming to storming to norming to performing and adjoining, I've really appreciated. And I do know that our audience have appreciated it as well. This, as with all the four-part series of this sports industry insights, are just segments of the conversations that went through during the webinar. To get the full webinar and get to fully appreciate what was taught, please do go on the johancryfeinstitute.com website to access all the webinars there. I do know that you would enjoy it and let us know what you think about it. Contact us, follow us on LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter. You can just look for Africa Sports Business Podcast. You find us, follow myself and Jabu. And thank you once again for giving us your ears for the first episode of 2023. We are truly grateful. Bless you.